as far as I'll provide. We are continuing the pastoral search. Um, we haven't had any names forwarded to us by our district superintendent yet, but um, that doesn't mean that there aren't people he's talking with. So we're just, he, he kind of screens them out and makes sure they're, you know, actually a pastor and actually, you know, licensed or can be. And, and uh, so we appreciate his diligence for us doing that. Uh, but we welcome you this morning. Um, a few other things that are coming up. Uh, we, we have mentioned that we're going to be starting some uh, men's and ladies' uh, Bible studies. We'll start up in September. Uh, we'll probably have uh, sign-up sheets starting in August. We'll also have uh, sign-up sheets for dinner groups. Uh, for those of you who may want to meet, maybe three or four couples. And um, Debbie and I have been part of those for quite a long time, and they're they're really a joy. You know, you once a month you meet in someone else's house and share a meal and get to know people in uh, in a way that we don't necessarily have time Sunday morning. So we we look forward to that. Um, so the dinner groups will probably um, we'll probably have signups for those in uh, in August as well. And um, talking with Nate uh, yesterday, uh, kicking around the idea of maybe uh, a men's coffee and donuts on a Saturday morning. I won't say men's breakfast, but donuts can certainly be a breakfast. Uh, I know it was mine yesterday, right, Nate? <laughs> so um, that would probably be a, that would probably be like an October start, something good for the fall and winter. Um, so hopefully to have more information on that. So just know that um, the, the church board is, is not waiting for anything to continue the mission of God, to disciple those who are undiscipled, or to further disciple those who are. Um, so we're not waiting because God doesn't tell us to wait. He tells us to go, to go and make disciples of all the world. Not just your pastor, 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 not just the pastor. That's not just the pastor's job. That's all of our job. We're all ministers of the word. We've we've all been saved by grace, right? And all are called to go and to share the word. So that is what we plan to do. Um, the only other thing is, that I'll add is we do uh, thank you for your, for your giving. Uh, we can't do what we do and turn on the lights and, and do all this without your faithful support. So if you'd like to, to give, we have uh, boxes at the entrances. And if you come later in the week, you, there's one outside you could drop something in or you can go online as well uh, to our website, um, mosaicny.church. So we thank you for that. Uh, my lovely wife is going to come and bring the scripture to us this morning. We don't have any uh, music for you as you come up, Deb, but we'll just... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to go this way. morning. First of all, I got to say a special thank you to the Ecklers and the Kimmels. I know they're not really big on being highlighted, but it's so nice to see you guys happy. Now it's good. Thank you. Um, I'll be reading from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 13. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into the 
into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the result and result of your faith and salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of things that have not been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert, fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is received or revealed in his uh, coming. It's all right that I bring my coffee with me. <laughs> Between coffee and ice cream and maple syrup, those are my three vices. So <laughs> but it's really good to be back uh, here with you folks. I was talking with Jim earlier, um, trying to figure out the last time I was here. Uh, it was right before your previous pastor came on board. So that was at least six years ago. And then I think I filled in for him once when he, when he was on vacation for a Father's Day. So that was at least two or three years ago at this point, too. So things have changed since I was here last. There was a wall. Um, there's, a lo there's a lot of things been changed. New cross, new TVs on the wall, and you folks look like you're, uh, you're doing pretty well here. So I, I appreciate you having me, and especially the worship team. You're all spread out now, but thank you for your wonderful uh, leading in worship this morning. We just came off of a concert last night, actually, up at, uh, if you've ever been to Moore's Camp, uh, we had a, a group from around the North Country. Uh, they named themselves Adirondack Anthem, which is a fairly new thing, but basically they're a, a conglomeration of various worship leaders from around the area, one from the Nazarene Church, one from the Assemblies of God, one from Turnpike Wesleyan. So they, they've all come together and they go around and, and host, different churches host them. I believe you guys have hosted uh, before, it was called Final Friday. And that this new group has kind of taken over for that. But they came to Morse Camp, and we had about 70 people there and a bunch of kids running around. And what, a, what an amazing night of worship. Um, at the church where I pastor, I'm the assistant pastor at the Morse Wesleyan Church. Um, my wife and I are also the, the worship leaders. So the music, of course, the entire service is a worship service. Every part of a church service is worship. But the music part of it specifically speaks to me. And um, as an encouragement to you, 
moving forward. Um, I was up front, obviously, I can't see behind me, but in, from what I experienced at you know, our service last night at camp, I would encourage you to come into your worship services not expecting to be served, I guess would be the word. Come with an attitude of humbleness. And sometimes I, I feel like people wait for the Holy Spirit to come and speak to them and, and move them in a certain way. Come with an expectancy that he's already here. Come with that, with that willingness to close your eyes, lift your hands, and worship him openly and freely and without reservation, and amazing things will happen. Things, people change when you come and you just, you just put all your inhibitions aside and stand and do whatever. I've seen people dance up and down the aisles. That's kind of weird for me, but I, <laughs> I can't. I don't have rhythm anyway. I can't dance. But just come to church. Come to, to a worship service with that expectancy that he's already here, and you just are here to experience it. And don't wait for, the, for him. He's already here. That would be my encouragement to you this morning. Um, but from what we're going to do today, I didn't have any slides or anything ready. Um, I just want to talk with you folks. We're going to, the scripture that was, that was read was um, my main scripture for today. We're going to go through that, kind of unpack it, um, tell some stories. We're going to pray together. And this, with this size group, I really like this. This feels very intimate. I feel like I'm going to get to know you guys. So this is good. And what's good about your church, too, it's very wide. So it's not, no one feels like they're really in the back row because you're, you're wider, not so shallow. This is nice. <laughs> I like this. I feel like I'm speaking directly to everyone. So um, as, as you can see, we read through 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 3 through 16. And so we're going to start with kind of uh, talking about what this passage is all about, okay? It was written, obviously, by Peter at a time where the early church was beginning to experience some persecution, okay? This is fairly early on in the life of the church. And Peter wrote this book as a, an encouragement, and it starts off actually in verse, uh, verse 1 and 2, that it, he's writing it to God's chosen people living as foreigners in other lands. And it's not, he's not talking about foreigners in the literal sense, whereas like if I were to move to Europe, I would be a foreigner in that land. Not in that sense at all. These are foreigners in that they are now citizens of heaven. Most of these people that he is writing um, this book to were actually converts from his early preaching at, after Pentecost. So they're early converts, new converts going back home where they are now foreigners because they are no longer citizens of this world, but citizens of heaven. So that's the kind of foreigner we're talking about. And it's written as an encouragement to them because they are beginning to see and undergo some persecution. And First Peter was actually was written very timely because it was very shortly after this, uh, like a year or two after this was written, when the burning of Rome happened and Emperor Nero uh, slaughtered a bunch of Christians, and it was a very, very dark time in the early, the history of the early church. So it was very timely for this encouragement to come, because they did undergo some very severe persecution right after it was written. So let's dive in a little bit um, to, well, I'm going to read it a little bit at a time. Verses 3 through 5, this is the encouragement part. And I love, I use for this particular uh, passage, I'm using my New Living Translation, these letters, the gospel letters and 1 Peter, 2 Peter, all those were written 
to be spoken out loud, to be read out loud to large groups of people. And what I like about the New Living Translation is that it's a little bit more our language, the way we talk today. And so to read it out loud, it just feels, it feels really good. So that's why I'm using that one. But starting at verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And though your faith, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So we'll stop right there. That is the encouragement part of Peter's letter. And I bring that, that encouragement to you today because I think we all need it. <laughs> How many of you, who, who is originally from this area? Just quick show of hands. Okay, so who, who came here fairly, you know, from out of state, from a different state? Okay, oh, well, that's, that's pretty good then. Have you noticed that, where did you come from? Okay. Okay, but you lived in Mississippi for a time. Anyone else? Yeah. Okay, so still the Northeast. Anyone from outside of the Northeast? Iowa? Okay. You, sir? Minnesota? Okay. So about a year ago, actually pretty much exactly a year ago at this point, my wife and I, my family and I, we're very, very discouraged, okay? I was born and raised in Ellenburg, lived in the North Country my entire life. And if you've lived in the North Country your entire life, maybe you don't sense this unless you've traveled before. But the Northeast is a very difficult place to do ministry in. The Northeast is very dark. The Northeast people are very closed off to the message of the gospel. I don't know if it's our tough, if it's our cold winters that make us tough. I don't know what it is, but it's a, it's a hard shell to break through. And my wife and I, my family and I went through a lot of personal persecution inside the church that just gave us a lot, a lot of discouragement. Discour yeah, geez, discouragement. So last July, we decided we were going to take two weeks off, and we told everyone we were going on vacation, and we were. But the main goal of that vacation was to scout, where, scout out different parts of the country where we felt we were going to leave, we were going to move. And our, our path was going to take us into Washington, D.C. We were going to check out some museums with the kids, and then we were going to head down the coast and end up in South Carolina, where I had already been in touch with uh, the uh, district, the South Carolina district of the Wesleyan Church down there to kind of see if there would be a place for me. And uh, as we were planning, one thing led to another. We'll make a long story short. Most of the museums in D.C. had just recently opened after COVID, and you had to actually like schedule a time, and the times were all booked, so there's really nothing we could have done in D.C. And then one thing after another, like our, all of our stops along the way seemed to just hit a brick wall. So it, the whole route that we had planned, the vacation we had planned, it kind of fell apart and didn't make any sense. And we were getting discouraged, and we said, what can we do? What else are we going to do? We, we got these two weeks off. We want to travel. We want to see what, you know, where God is leading us. And then it hit us a, 
in 2020, right before COVID, we had bought tickets to the Ark in Kentucky. And have you ever heard of the uh, Creation Museum and the Ark? Yes. It, I mean, it's a great, great place. But we, had, we weren't able to go, and we just thought we had lost that money. And, but then God put it in the back of our minds that, hey, you had bought these tickets. Just call them and see what they do. So I called up the Ark, and I said, we bought tickets two years ago. We were never able to come because of COVID. What can we do? They said, tell us when you're coming, and we'll reserve you tickets. We'll honor those tickets. So I was like, great. So we ended up, instead of going all the way down the East Coast, we headed southwest a little bit. We went into Lancaster, Pennsylvania, saw um, Esther at Sight and Sound Theater. And that's another place if you've never been. Oh, my goodness. Blow your mind. Amazing. Better than we've been to Broadway. We've been up to Plaza de Arts in, in Montreal for shows. This, no comparison. Get down to Lancaster, Pennsylvania and see a show at uh, Sight and Sound. So we saw Sight and Sound, Esther with our kids. Absolutely loved it. Great spiritual experience there. Uh, kept heading south and ended up in Kentucky at the Ark and Creation Museum. Spent three days down there. And by the time we were done... We were so filled with a renewed passion for spreading the gospel and armed with, with tools to basically fight against a lot of these secular teachings and, and science, uh, so-called science, against, you know, creation and evolution and all that kind of stuff. And we just, we had this sense of renewed purpose for being where we are in the North Country. And God had also recently brought uh, some new friends into our lives that were just an extreme blessing. And there was, all of a sudden, we were tied to the area again, where we hadn't felt tied before. Like, it was just, it seemed to all be unraveling, and, and we were ready to go. So, we came back, we, we shared our experience with, with everyone, and now we want to use what we have learned and, and our experience to encourage everyone here that this is a mission field. You live in a mission field. And if you have never left the North Country, maybe you don't sense it. But we've also, you know, through our experiences with Moore's Camp and, and bringing in outside evangelists from all over the country, we've actually had people say that they have gotten off the plane in Burlington, Vermont, and, ha and could feel the darkness in our area. And when we were uh, talking, we actually went and saw a seminar when we were at the Creation Museum by Ken Ham, who him and his wife came to America in the early 80s from uh, Australia. And they said they came to America because they felt this was a mission field. We think about sending missionaries across, you know, to Africa and, and to China and to, you know, all these other countries. That's what we think of as missionaries. But here they, we have these Australian, Australians coming to America because this is a mission field. But we live here and we don't sense that. But it truly is. America is becoming more and more post-Christian all the time. And we're allowing the secular world, the secular scientific world to dispute and refute things that we know to be true in the Bible. And we need to be able to fight against that. And that's, I think that music is, is in our area we, is a great way of breaking through that hard exterior and that's why we started uh, last year we started up north worship and why we're trying to encourage churches to work together to spread the gospel because we all have our little pockets of of influence but if we need to we need to unite and we need to work together to spread the gospel do you agree do you agree i think it's extremely important that we all work together we can't do this on our own 
But that's, that's my encouragement to you as you, I know this is going to be a tough time for you as, as you're searching for your next pastor, but you need to find someone who is mission-minded. As You know, hearing Jim pray and hearing him share his heart, I'm wondering why he's not licensed. Why he's <laughs> not what God has called you to. That's, that's, that's all right. We'll accept that. But uh, I, could listen, I could listen to you preach, Jim, honestly. <laughs> um, but yes, that's my encouragement to you, that we need to be missionally minded. And when, if you're focused on the mission to reach the lost, everything else will fall into place. Don't search for that, the person who's going to come in and say, hey, I can grow your church to 500 people within three years. That's, that's not the goal. That's not the goal. The goal is to reach the lost. When we did Up North Worship last fall, or, or last June, excuse me, just a month ago, it took us a full year, tens of, tens of thousands of dollars, and hundreds of man hours to make this happen. And it was a really scary thing. And the night before, I was driving around... And I, and I said, God, if this, all of this effort was to reach one person, it will all be worth it. If everything you do if it, it is only to ever change the eternity of one person, it is worth it. Because even the angels rejoice over one soul that is saved. And what if that was your soul? How would you feel if, that, if you were the one, if you were that one out of the 99 lost sheep that Christ died for. That is the mission that we are after, to reach one more for Jesus Christ at any cost. That is our mission. So, moving along to verses 6 through 9. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with the glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. We'll pause there for a minute. So when it talks about testing and trials in this, what, I have to wonder what kind of testing you think of when we hear about testing and trials. Is it testing like Job was tested? Job lost everything. He lost everything from his possessions to his land to his family. Every, every one of his family members except his wife died. Uh, he lost his health, covered in boils. That was a true testing, and God allowed that. God allowed Satan to truly test Job. That's testing. Or are we talking about first world problem testing? God, I didn't get that promotion. God, I didn't, get to, I didn't get to buy that new car because the payment was just too high. Why am, I so, why am I so oppressed? Why am I being tested like this, God? That's first world problems. That's not the kind of testing that we're talking about. I'm talking about true trials, true persecution, which we rarely ever experience in North America. And then, I mean, Canada's got it worse than we do as far as the, the churches being shut down still with COVID restrictions and all that kind of stuff. 
But in America, here we are. Here we are meeting on a Sunday morning. What kind of persecution have you, have you experienced? I've been called a bigot just for expressing a bibli- for biblical truths. I've been picked on. I've been put down and yelled at. No one's ever tried to shoot me or kill me or stone me or run me out of town like the early apostles. We just don't experience the kind of testing and, and persecution that biblical figures experience or that they experience on a daily basis around the world. Churches that have to meet in secret. Churches that can only meet in the dead of night. But they still meet because they, they want to be together and experience um, the Holy Spirit as a group of people. And that's why it's so important for us to meet on a Sunday morning, whether it be one or two or two hundred. When you worship together, the Holy Spirit moves in a very unique and different way. As the whole online thing, you know, during COVID was so hard because you just couldn't experience the Spirit in the same way as when you were together with, with other believers. So when we think about testing and trials, we need to take a step back and, and really search our hearts and, and know whether or not it's a trial that God is using to refine us or if it's just a first world problem or let's, let's can we be honest with each other? Sometimes our trials are just because we make dumb choices. <laughs> Who has never made a dumb choice in their life, right? Just because you do something stupid doesn't mean that you're being tested or tried. It's just sometimes we make bad choices. We have to be able to distinguish the difference. Um, I want to uh, jump over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Your faith is evidence to others that what Christ has done in your heart is real. And they can't refute that. You can't dispute that. How we respond to testing is a witness in itself. From, like Jim mentioned this morning, traffic. Don't be the the person with a Jesus fish on your bumper who also flips the bird when someone cuts you off in traffic. (laughs) That's a terrible witness. I was, I was in town the other day, and uh, this person was coming out of the DMV, so I, I tried to cut them some slack thinking they're already having a bad day, right? They're coming out of the DMV. <laughs> but they were coming out of the DMV wearing a, a, a T-shirt that said, Team Jesus. Not little writing, like huge writing, Team Jesus. And I was like, hey, I love your shirt. And they just grumbled at me and kept on walking. I'm like, don't wear that shirt. <laughs> terrible witness. Like, I understand that people have bad days, but if you're out there, if you're wearing a hat or a t-shirt or some kind of paraphernalia that would outwardly to the world say, hey, I'm a Christian, put your best foot forward and have a good attitude. It's tough, I know, but we are representatives of Christ, and people need to see that there's something different about us than the rest of the world. Uh, just skipping through a little bit here in, in Hebrews, it gives examples of all the, of these figures that had the kind of faith. It says, uh, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. It was by faith that Enoch was taken to heaven without dying. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land. 
It was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. I hope someday at, during my eulogy, someone will say it was by faith that Trevor XYZ. Like that's what a, what a legacy to leave behind, to be remembered for a, as a person of extreme faith. That, that's what we should be striving for. The kind of being the kind of Christian and the kind of disciple that leaves an impression, a lasting impression on those around us and points them towards Christ. And then there are, there's really, I mean, bad attitudes and having a bad day is one thing, but then there's serious testing of faith, like losing a child, losing a loved one, dealing with illness. I've seen it go both ways, where someone lost a parent at an early age and just couldn't deal with it, couldn't comprehend why God, why, and never set foot in the church again, told, the faith totally fell apart. How shallow is your faith when, when testing like that just completely destroys everything you believe in? And I've had family members have a child born with, it, with extreme uh, birth defects and after only a week of life, died in their arms in the middle of the night. And then use that example, use that experience to encourage others who, and help others who are going through similar situations, but to use that, that sorrow and that experience to show how great God is and how the joy, they still live with this great joy and this expectation that, that God will bring them back together again one day in glory. It can go either way. What kind of person of faith do you want to be? The kind that falls apart at the first sign of trouble or the kind that can show your extreme joy and your extreme faith in the face of extreme circumstances? Are you going to blame God or are you going to praise God? It's a pretty simple choice. Moving on to the third section of this scripture, starting at verse 10, it says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So, preach it. That's, that's the point of this section. What's our job? And Jim, Jim beautifully touched on this point already. What is our job? What is your job as a Christian? It's not rhetorical. You can answer. Go and make disciples. Invite new people in, not only to the body of Christ and to church, but into a relationship with Him. Right? Yes. Yep. The Great Commission. Amen. Yep. That's from Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. I ask you this, though, if we go to Romans 10, 14. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Consider this your call to action. You are all being sent. It is not just the pastor's job to reach the lost. I used to think that if I could at least get someone into church, then the pastor could preach to them and get them saved. <laughs> doesn't work that way. Not very well, anyway. It sometimes does, but not very well. It's all of our jobs to not only be a great example of Jesus' love in this world, but to, to give them the message of the gospel. Your testimony may be the only gospel anyone ever hears. They may never set foot in a church, but because of your example, because of your testimony and, pre and preaching, for lack of a better word, the, the word to them, that may be their only exposure to the message of the gospel. And do we really want to be responsible for on the day that we look Jesus in the face and we have to admit that we, yeah, I missed it. I missed that opportunity. I remember when you put someone in front of me that I had a clear opportunity to share the message and I didn't do it. I, I don't, I don't want to get to heaven one day and have to admit to God, yeah, that person's not here with me because I didn't speak up. It is all of our missions, all of our jobs to spread the gospel. You are sent. The Great Commission says to go and make disciples of all nations. That means go. <laughs> go from here today. If you're going grocery shopping, if you're going out to, a, to lunch afterwards, if you're going back home to a, a family that doesn't know Christ, go and tell them. Don't wait what if, it says even the angels don't know when Christ is coming back. They even, angels wait eagerly for that time when Christ returns. It could be now. It could be 100 years from now. We don't know. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. We have to take the opportunities when Christ, when God gives them to us. And pray that the Holy Spirit goes before and softens the hearts. That's always my prayer. Whenever we do something like a worship night or why I was praying up here this morning, it was just to, to soften the hearts of the people that are here, that are listening online, that'll listen throughout the week if you know it's on, posted on YouTube and that kind of thing, to, that the message of the gospel will be clearly and, and received for them, that God will work on their hearts, because sometimes it might take 20 years, it might take 50 times, it might take 100 times to hear that same message before the Holy Spirit is finally able to break through to someone, and, and Something that is so, has been so discouraging for me early on in ministry when I was working with kids and teens was that it seemed like I was working so hard and not seeing any fruit. <laughs> but the seeds are planted. And now, 15 years later, some of these kids that I thought were, were lost have come, you know, now they have families, they're married, they're going to church, and they're raising their families. And it's like, wow, I didn't think I was getting through that person at all but it was the seeds that were planted. Then you have to just pray and believe that God is using you 
right where you're supposed to be. Seek his will above all things, and it will work out. Verses 13 through 16. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. That's that's some heavy stuff. That's, that's a lot to live up to, to be holy as Christ is holy. But we are simply to be set apart. Romans 12, 2, you might know that, says, Do, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. More commonly, if you haven't memorized, it says don't conform to the pattern of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to, to know God's will for you, which is is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what this is talking about when he says don't slip back into your old way of thinking. Don't be, don't let the world shape the way you think. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and God's scriptures transform the way that you think. And we don't have to try to change people to come to church. I've, I've heard that before too. Boy, if I stepped foot in a church, I'd probably burst into flames. You don't have to change to come to church or come to know Christ. And just because someone's living in perhaps obvious sin, some sins are more obvious than others, doesn't mean that they can't come to church and come to know Christ. Our job is to introduce them to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change them and in ways that we can't, that only He can, and reveal to them how to become more holy. That is the process which we all live under is a process of sanctification. And that's a big fancy word for being set apart. Sanctified simply means to be set apart for special use or purpose. In practical terms, sanctification involves an ongoing process of spiritual growth, development, and maturity by which God refines us spiritually, prepares us for His purpose, and involves us in his plans. If we are daily seeking after him and his will in prayer and reading scripture in devotional times and meeting together to build each other up, that is all the process of sanctification, becoming more holy. And when we think about holy, I'm not talking about shaving your head, wearing, being a monk and being in isolation. You know, that, that's not the kind of holy we're talking about. When Jesus wanted to, or when uh, the disciples wanted to shoo children away from Jesus, what did Jesus do? He invited the children in. When the crowds pushed the lepers away, what did Jesus do? He invited them in. When religious people shunned the tax collectors, what did Jesus do? He made dinner plans with them. That means that we're the ones who need to pull over and help the homeless that we're the ones that need to serve in a local soup kitchen, that we're the ones that need to go and help 
volunteer at, well, here's something relevant to the times, go volunteer at Birthright or Plattsburgh Pregnancy Center. When the world says that these people aren't worth dealing with, we need to be the ones who are more like Jesus and reaching the, the truly lost and hurting. We can't shun. We, whatever the world says we should do, most likely we need to do the opposite. We need to be different, and we need to treat people differently. And it was really, that was something that was really, really tough for me um, on a couple of different levels with some serious issues. But long story short, do you remember, I don't know, probably 10 years ago now when, um, I can never remember his name, but the, the group from the Westboro Baptist group came and did their huge like hate speech thing around the college and holding up the signs, you know, God hates gays and things like that. Well, my wife and I went down there and we went down there and we, we stood on the side, on the other side with the people that were, you know, on the pro-gay side of things, not to support them in that lifestyle, but to say, we're here as, a, as followers of Christ and that's not Christianity. We wanted to be there to show them that God loves them and that God accepts them and that if they come into a a saving knowledge of him, he will change us in ways that we need to be changed. But those signs that they're holding that says that God hates you, that's that's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus would do. Jesus wouldn't shun people like that. And that was tough. That was that was a very hard thing to do. But that's the kind of extreme faith that we need to have. We need to do the opposite and show people love, more love than <laughs> makes sense in, in some cases. But I want to leave you with this today, you know, just as an, again, as that encouragement to recap that this, where you live, this community is a mission field. And God needs you to be missionaries. I would hope that you would go from here today and and pray that the Holy Spirit softens your hearts, that he, each and every day, pray this, that God puts someone in your path that gives you the opportunity to be a representative of Christ. Start small and your faith and your confidence will build. But pray each and every day that God puts someone in your path that you can touch with his love. Invite, I invite you to pray for revival. And I know that may seem like an old and outdated term, but something truly amazing is happening in the North Country. And it starts in you. Because I know that because it starts in me. I was feeling the darkness. I was feeling discouraged. I was feeling like it was time to give up and move on. And yes, sometimes, scripturally, it says that, you know, you shake the dust from your sandals and you move on. And I was about there. But then God revealed to me that it wasn't time. That this is where we belong. This is our mission field. And I have felt the difference in our area simply because I felt the change in myself. Pray for revival. Because if we can reach the Northeast, which historically according to all the polls, all the researchers says that 
the Northeast is the darkest, most post-Christian area in the country. If we can, if the Holy Spirit can break through here, he can break through anywhere. And I just am excited to be a part of that. I invite you to be a part of it as well. And if you, if you don't pray for anything else tonight, or today, come and pray for revival in our churches, in our area. Pray at, do you call this the altar? I don't know. You don't really have an altar anymore. But come and pray at the foot of the cross that God moves and that we feel the Holy Spirit move in our area. And I'm releasing you. I am sending you out to be missionaries, to spread the gospel and make disciples. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and I, I thank you for this time that we've had this morning to dig deep into your scriptures, Lord. And I pray that you would soften our hearts and, and give us that mission-minded spirit, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just reveal to us each and every day who we can, we can talk to and who we can reach and who we can just shower with your love. Help us to be different, Lord. Help us to, for, for people to see how we are different, wonder and ask us questions. And Lord, I just pray for a great revival in our area. Not, not so our churches can grow and that we can boast that we've got all the latest technology and that, that our churches are overflowing and we've got to do three and four services, Lord, but so that we can say that lives are being changed. And if that happens outside the walls of the church, Lord, then so be it. We just pray for a great moving of the Holy Spirit. I thank you so much for those who are in this church today, who are here to, to praise you, who are here to worship you, who are here to grow and I just pray, Lord, that you would en enrich their lives and lift them up and encourage them to be missionaries of the gospel. In your name we pray, amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. And Lord, if there are any mountains that need to be moved in our lives, I just pray that you would move them so clearly and so miraculously this week, Lord. Let us see the path that you've put before us, that may your Holy Spirit go before and prepare the way as we go from here and spread the gospel to this lost and hurting world that needs you now more than ever, Lord. I pray a special hand of blessing on each and every one in this service that you would anoint them to go and be your, your messengers. In your name we pray. Amen.